Welcome to Linked Up, a podcast for educators, linking up educators from around the world. Not only linking up educators, but educators that are breaking boundaries and doing great things for kids and for education. So today we're going to be talking about breaking boundaries and the psychology of the pandemic. I'm Jerry Kimball, National Academic Advisor for ClassLink, and my co-host is Jamie. Hello. Hi, I'm Jamie Sapanera, and we're getting linked up today on the topic of the psychology of the pandemic. We are very excited to have experts in education to share insights about the pandemic and how it's affecting our schools and our students and our teachers, and also some promising ideas to work through these tough issues. Uh, we're really excited to have all of you, so welcome to each of you. Why don't you share your name, your role? Lindsay, we'll start with you. Hi, my name is Lindsay McKenna. I'm an educational behavioral consultant with Project Stay, which is through Greenbush. Excellent, thank you. Hi, Linda. Hi, I'm Linda Aldridge. I'm an associate professor with Emporia State University. I also do consultation work with the Kansas State Department of Education and an amazing organization called Infinitech, serves a number of states in this country. Wonderful. So happy to have you and your expertise and Rich. Hello. Hey, I'm Rich Harrison and I am a behavior interventionist for three school districts. So I help develop uh, social and emotional supports mm. for kids that are sort of struggling. Terrific. All right. Well, thank you so much. Jerry, why don't we start with uh, the first question? All right. Well, I'm thinking it won't be too soon if we don't hear the words new normal pivoting <laughs> and this new unchartered territory but yet that is the world that we're living in and it, it seems that it doesn't matter if you're going back to school in person or if you're doing it remotely my guess is everyone will probably spend some time remotely this next school year and when i talk to educators one of the things that i hear is that it's really difficult to establish relationships remotely. And we know that uh, relationships, establishing good relationships is really the secret sauce to learning. So uh, Rich, I know in your background, you have really visited with schools and worked with schools closely about establishing relationships. Could you talk to us about how you can do this in a remote environment? And actually in a, brick and mortar as well. Sure, yeah. Um, so thanks, Jerry. And I, I, so we do know that there's a negative correlation if the student feels like that the teacher does not like them, um, their academics go down. We, we do understand that. So you're right. I think that we do know that the relationship that we have with our students is important. And so there's um, kind of seven things that I think we can do. Um, they're all going to be familiar to us. So the first one is what I'm gonna call acknowledgements, which are things like, hello, goodbye, please, thank you, I'm sorry. So if we can integrate those kinds of things into um, our, you know, if we're going remotely, um, kids do these things naturally, right? And so we maybe have to be more, more purposeful in the way that those things happen. Um, so using chat or um, emojis or those kinds of things. Uh, the next two are connected to each other, which is, do I, I share personal information 
And do I listen to other people's personal information? So this could be like when you get home with your partner, you share your day, they share their day. Well, kids do this as they go out to recess. They do it all day. Um, but this makes each other's brains believe that they are connected and that they are friends. So those are the next two. The next ones are gonna be a little more difficult um, to do remotely, but we need to help each other and we need to receive help from each other. So ways in which we can think about that is if we are broken off into groups, is to still to try to put kids together that they can help each other um, with their work or um, any way. So if you think about um, a way to really offend somebody is to not accept a gift from somebody, some form of help. It doesn't feel good. And so this is the same concept. It, it helps us understand that we are connected, we have a relationship, and we like to be together. The next one is um, laughter. And so 80% um, of all laughter is social. So what that means is, and you'll see this with kids, we laugh more with our friends than we do with our enemies. And so um, it means that if we might start the day with some jokes, we might end the day with some jokes, we may emphasize opportunities for kids to um, laugh with each other. Uh, the last area um, that really builds connection, and this one we're gonna have to be careful with a little bit, is the use of praise or telling people that they're doing a great job. Um, so, you know, when we're in the classroom, a lot of times teachers will have kids clap for each other, um, but really in a remote sense, we may be able to use emojis, um, thumbs ups, those kinds of things to, to let each other know that we like what they've said. The trick is gonna be that nobody likes a know-it-all or someone that is always telling them what to do. And so um, we need to make it really be honest, praise, reinforcement kind of things. And we need to be careful about the kinds of criticism that we give. So using thumbs down, sad faces, those kinds of things we need to be careful about probably not having students do that with each other. Um, and even as a teacher, we need to be careful in this remote way of how criticism is going to be received uh, by the students. So those are sort of the areas that I think um, if we want to continue to build relationships, um, those are some areas we could do it. The other problem is um, from a small sample that I have seen, most humans get about 2,000 of those things in a day, in a 24-hour period. So you can't go through and do one thumbs up for every kid and think that's going to be sufficient. Like, you've had your thumbs up for the day, so you don't need any more. Humans like a lot of it. Um, you so, said 2,000 a day? Um, two, if, you, if you trace yourself back, Jamie, and just think about the number of times you've said hello to somebody or thank you, or that how long you told your partner or friend something and how long you listened, 2,000 is minimal. So wow. like somebody that's a greeter, um, teachers especially will have even a lot more than that because if they have 20 to 30 kids in their class and they're constantly talking with them, it's gonna be even more than that. So I think the, the most common mistake that I see is that we wanna do a share out time um, and then that's supposed to be sufficient for the rest of the 
the day. Right, right, right. Enough. Like check it off the list, right? Yes, it's exactly mm -hmm. right. And it and 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 that is not um, how humans are. And if you want an example, when you go home today, ignore your partner even for five minutes, and they will wonder what is wrong. They will come to you and ask, "What happened? What? What did something bad happen at work?" And just by ignoring and not saying hello will make another person feel like that they are being left out. So how do you, do you have any idea how many connections we're getting now in this virtual environment? So Jerry, um, as you know, the year ended um, and I have no idea. But mm -hmm. I know that many kids didn't even attend some of the um, right. virtual opportunities. Um, and and we, I, all the teachers that I know did an amazing job and did the best they could. But I, um, for the classes that I sat in, many kids got none, right? Because we were focused on getting our math and our reading done. Mm -hmm. um, um, so I don't know the answer to that, uh, but I do think we need to integrate if we want this connective piece and we want the students to believe, the children to believe that, we care about you, we love you, and we want you here, we are gonna to have to integrate a lot of these opportunities. You know, a rhythm in which we are really constantly reminding them that we are connected to them. But I, I don't know what it was at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So this is what they're talking about when they're saying the social emotional learning piece, that we just need to make sure that the kids are feeling connected and yes. accepted. That, that's right, Jerry. And so the, so the interesting thing is sometimes we focus on teaching social emotional skills, but mm -hmm. connection is felt. So you can learn about it. It's, it's sort of like telling your um, kid what they're going to do on a date and they automatically don't listen to you because it's all felt. You can say, hey, you're not supposed to kiss on a date. And they're like, yeah, right. I'm not going to, whatever. We'll see what happens when I get there. And so teaching is one thing but connection is felt throughout the whole body. So it's felt in your heart, liver, lungs, all the stomach, all of those kinds of things. And so you have to create opportunities of connection. <clears throat> you can't just talk about it. You can't just build a skill around it. You, they have to have the opportunity to feel it. So teachers really need to build that in. Yeah. Those opportunities. They need to build it in. So sometimes uh, some of the, lesson plans that I have seen is they're building in movement, but they're also building in connective opportunities. So the rhythm of it is there is academics built into it, but okay, everybody get up, walk around your room, do those kinds of things. Okay, get in a chat room, share um, what you had for dinner last night. Do you have a pet? What's your pet's name? Um, let me help you with uh, those kinds of things. Tell them a joke, that kind of stuff. And so, yes, I would, I would think that uh, in teaching that we would have this kind of rhythm of, you know, let's everybody greet each other, let's do our academics, let's make sure we say thank you, let's make sure if we make a mistake to say sorry, build in those, yeah, those structures, absolutely, we have to be purposeful. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, those are great ideas, great ideas. Simple, simple, right, but important, but not always something that we are continually embedding, um, in meaningful ways, and we, we might think of those and say, yeah, yeah, I know that, but do we actually do that? And are we actually implementing them regularly, as you said, kind of threaded throughout? And I mean, 
morning meeting is fantastic, right? But just as you said, it can't be do it in the morning, check it off the list, I'm done, right? Yeah. I guess that's that's the trick. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I my next question is um, about collecting data. During this time, we have so much going on and we don't have as much time with our students as we normally have. And schools notoriously collect a lot of data on children. And um, sometimes it's questioned, do we collect too much? But in this time, you know, we really need to focus in on what is important. What data do we need to be collecting now about children? What are the important pieces we need? Well, it's interesting, Jerry, because um, honestly, what I would be talking about flows right into what Rich was saying. If, we, if we're taking notice of how we're connecting with students when we are remote, then it's maybe looking at, are they looking at me when I'm talking to them? Are they you know, looking in the camera appropriately? Or are they just staring at their picture? Um, do they not have their camera on at all? Um, are there times when I'm asking a student to respond and they just say, I don't have, I don't have an answer or I don't want to respond or I don't want to participate? Like really looking at, are they actually engaged with what you're talking about? Those are, I think, my bigger things that would, to me, make me go, gosh, I really need to probably do a one-on-one -on -one time with that student because maybe something else is going on. Maybe they're not comfortable or maybe they're not showing up at all. That's the bigger piece. And Jerry, I think the other thing you said is that schools usually are taking a lot of data and they're not using it to make any decisions. And so if you take this data and you examine it later, it's helping yourself as a teacher to reflect on what's happening, but also who are those students that I really need to kind of hone in on and be like, I'm a little worried about that one. Yeah, it's only formative if you actually do something with it, right? It's just data sitting there if you don't. So it's only if you, if, if you actually take it and make instructional decisions, make social emotional um, connect, connective decisions, that's what makes it formative. So um, I think that's super important. This is really important factor. And it's so, you know, it doesn't have to be um, academic versus social emotional. It's, it's actually, you know, you need the one, you know, Maslow, right? We need the one before mm -hmm. you have the other. So it's important to really have and check it. And we have to play detective, I guess, is what you're saying. Absolutely. Really kind of play detective. Watch those cues. It's difficult because, you know, when you, when you have a student that is on camera, you can look at their emotional expressions as well. I mean, if you've got a kid who's just sitting there and is just like, you know, maybe looking down the whole time or is frowning or anything like that, like those emotional expressions are, say a lot about the way kids are acting and how this is just a difficult time for them as it is for everybody else. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say not only the students do we need to collect data on, this is all new for teachers too, and I worry about staff. Uh, yeah. Do we need to be concerned about them as well? Or, uh, oh, Linda, <laughs> you say yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, my career has been spent in, in the administrative role as well as teaching. And um, something drummed into every principal's head is that the top priority is now and forever the health and safety and general welfare of students and staff. What we do to teachers and staff, we do to kids. It, 
all is in the same mix. And I'm running into a lot of teachers in my various roles that are feeling disempowered. They're, they're worried. They're worried about safety and health issues. And we've got to keep that in mind. They're in mixed feeling as isolated and disjointed as our students are. So reaching out to these folks in a very mindful, purposeful way and doing everything that Rich is talking about and everything that Lindsay is talking about in a purposeful way to make sure that, that our staff, our teachers, and not just the, the licensed staff, bus drivers, paraprofessionals, they're all feeling valued and empowered to do the very best they can in these most unusual circumstances. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. You know, and speaking of the staff, you know, this is, you know, we have the instructional or the, you know, the school leaders uh, making these decisions, but yet we're giving this message that we're all in this together. So how can teachers really feel supported as leaders? Uh, and what advice would you give them if they feel they should question a decision that has been made? How can they get feel empowered uh, to be part of that process? Because we're talking about fundamental health issues right now in the midst of the pandemic, I really encourage people to look at how decisions are being made. And in our state and many states across the country, for better or worse, decisions are being made at the local level. Uh, local school boards, for example, or local county health agencies. Pay attention to those folks because we are members of a democratic society. And if things are boiling down to a 4-3 vote to reopen a school or to open a school for the first time, pay attention to what kind of language is going on. If the prevailing viewpoint to open um, is rooted in comments like, well, it's just the flu, or we're not afraid of any old germ, that kind of stuff, I believe teachers and other educational leaders have every right to be concerned and an obligation if they truly believe that health or general welfare is in jeopardy, they have an obligation to speak up. But you can do that in a respectful way. These people who are, are on elected boards, they put themselves out there. They got elected to those positions. That is to be respected. And at the same time, as a citizen in a democratic society, and sometimes as a parent in our school districts and communities, every right to voice our concerns based upon what's going on in terms of data, scientific analysis, um, the community spread rate, the death rate, the, the active case rate. We have so much more at our disposal now than we did back in March to figure out what's going on in each community. And I encourage educators to speak up about their concerns. But Linda, sometimes I hear educators say, I'm not tenured yet. I, I don't feel comfortable talking to my administrator about a decision that they've made because I'm afraid I could lose my job over it. Are there ways that they can express their opinion comfortably and not have fear about that? I, you know, I think sometimes they fear too much, but yeah. What would you tell them? What advice? Set aside notions of comfort. There's nothing comfortable about any of this, and we just yeah. need to sort of figure that out. Uh, but oftentimes, teachers worry about getting fired, losing their jobs way more than teachers actually get fired or lose their jobs. We have a lot of rights in every state in this country, First Amendment rights regarding um, our freedom 
privilege. And, and those rights are very much there. And I think you should avail yourselves of them. But you know, we can also practice respectful discourse. We can practice disagreeing appropriately. And we can model those of processes for our students and our community. We don't need to be shouting or vulgar or um, in other ways people down while building our own thoughts and opinions. As educators, I think we need to model professional discourse at all times to include when we're speaking out about concerns regarding health, safety, and general welfare of students and staff. Be nice about it. Right, right, yeah. Again, simple, yet sometimes our emotions, you know, we, we react instead of respond sometimes. And I think that's the trick is just being able to, to have clear uh, responses and, and not let the emotions uh, take over. Um, and, you know, just really, and, and, you know, know your rights and be able to communicate those. Harder said than done, but I think your um, suggestions are really important. and people should really consider taking a breath, right? And, and letting them sink in. It's important, it is. And it, especially since this is such an emotional time. There are so many, as you mentioned before, so many people are, you know, we, we think it's kind of cut and dry sometimes, but there are so many different situations, different perspectives that, you know, you may not even know uh, what's going on until you peel the onion. So, and it goes back to what you were saying before, talking and listening. So. Uh, it all, it's all tying together. Students, teachers, parents, it all, all is really uh, advice that kind of melts together for all if you pick it apart. But in terms of if we wrap up with one promising practice, something that's practical, that teachers and educators will really be able to you know, take away. We came up with several today, right? You each suggested, but what do you think the one takeaway uh, that you would share would be? Um, we'll start with Rich. Okay, well, if you don't mind, Jamie, I'll be quick. I wanna to try to do two. So one okay. is obviously, I do think that we need to maintain social and emotional opportunities for the kids and thread them in as you described. The other one, I just wanted to jump on what Linda and Lindsay said, and that was, if the district provides a way in which we can see how our, our staff and our students are doing, that it's not just left up to the teacher, so they have an aligned sort of data collection idea, that may give an opportunity for teachers to speak and students to speak safely, and it doesn't feel like I have to go out of my way to go talk to my principal. Right. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, and you made a good point too. You know, we talked about teachers and parents, well, not so much parents, but parents and um, staff, but students too. Students need yeah. to feel empowered, it's very much so. Um, they're really at the heart of this. Um, how about you, Lindsay? So I go back to thinking about just routine. Um, students, okay. teachers, families, everybody needs routine. And so the big thing I always come back to, it's actually called a JAR, a joint activity routine. And it was actually created for like teeny, teeny tinies, but it's, it's four steps. So it's thinking about, all right, what are we gonna work on today? Or what are we gonna play with? Um, what are we gonna do? How are we going to address that activity? Um, what is the activity? what steps are involved in it, and then how are we gonna wrap it up and close it? And if we think about that from an SEL side or an academic side, 
it's just basically saying this is the routine. This is what I want to make sure all steps are when I'm doing SEL or academic or whatever it might be. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that, that routine allows for lots of great creativity and productivity. They, they know what's expected and they are comfortable in that and can flourish after that. It's important. How about you, Linda? One takeaway. Well, I have a bias, lots of biases, but I'll just share one. And that is that educators, generally speaking, and by educators, I mean everybody associated with schools, teachers, principals, custodians, a whole bunch. They just tend to be, in my opinion, a cut above our normal human beings. And what I've um, heard loud and clear through a number of opportunities is people, educators, they want to contribute. They want to make things better for their students and their families and their and so in leadership roles, wherever you're at, lead from wherever you're at, think about reusing, um, rethinking how we use people, all of our people, all of our educators. For example, paraprofessionals, my gosh, they're out there. They want to help. And I've heard so many great stories about recasting the role of paras. So they might be the ones if we go to remote learning, and a lot of us, if we're not already there, we will be likely. Um, they're the ones that are doing porch visits, social distance, safe with masks, modeling good behaviors in a pandemic. And they're the ones at the end of the sidewalk or the end of the porch who are having that physical contact, who are saying, hello, I care about you. All the things that Rich said at the beginning of this discussion, they're and sharing that. And the people receiving are the students and the families. You know, more important than the academic outcomes of all of this might be the social emotional learning. What did we do to make sure everyone was remembered, valued, accepted, and everyone, in one way or another, we reach out to them? And all of our staff, teachers, custodians, cooks, paraprofessionals, everyone can have a role in that kind of a process. Yeah, and I really think that truly is, should be, the heart of all decision making. Uh, sometimes it's not, sometimes other things get in the way, but it really, really should be. Um, so thank you, the three of you. And you know what, I think, you know, links, links us together. All of, our, all of our ideas that you shared here is authenticity. I mean, really just making things purposeful, making them meaningful, and making you know, the, the practices that Rich shared, making them authentic, making them real. Um, taking, not just collecting data, but actually authentically doing something with it. Uh, and then working with all stakeholders, as Linda talked about. Um, you know, we, students are at the forefront, but we have so many other stakeholders involved and just making sure that everyone feels um, that, that they are, that their lives, their uh, feelings, their concerns matter. Uh, so again, thank you so much to the three of you. Uh, we're really excited to share this podcast. It's super important, not just relevant now. Um, all of these practices are heightened now uh, because of uh, remote learning, but obviously need to be implemented in our daily practices. So thanks again so much, everyone. Uh, if you would like to stay linked up with us, be sure to follow us um, on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and then subscribe to us on YouTube. All right, thanks for watching, everyone. See you next time.